Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am a professor and an author and an amateur bodybuilder. Hey, folks. Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm a journalist, a former competitive bodybuilder, and a powerlifter. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter and Highland Games athlete. I run Strength Guild and LiveForHope.org. Yes, you do. And yes, I do. Um, with us today, we've got Dan John again. Dan, thanks for joining us. You bet. Glad to be here. Yeah. Rob has some news. Um, well, I just want to get it off the from the top because uh, you know it's our our, our comp- contest winner here is uh, give me some uh, drum roll. Our winner, Tim Weinzerl, go from Austin, Tim, Texas. Yes, and he won. And for people who are clueless to what we're talking about here, we had a competition going about a uh, epic protein meals, and we asked people for submissions with their photographs about uh, of their epic protein meal and we got a lot actually yeah lot we did questions. and tim sent in his and and they were all quite epic and some of them were quite uh, nauseating uh, managing trying to shovel them down but the reason I, I i chose tim tim's submission um is because as i explained to lonnie is because i like the combination of the the epic proteinness of it but also <laughs> the fact that it had a little bit of a humor attached to it because he kind of was making a happy face on the steak with some uh some eggs and other things. And you can go on our, our Iron, Iron Radio Facebook page and you can actually uh, see Tim's submission. Tim Weinzerl is our winner. And he, apparently, Lonnie, you said you've already emailed out his prize. Yes, he should get it within the week. He, the protein book, the protein and resistance training book, you bet. Right, so Tim, congratulations. Thanks for your submission. And see, Woo-hoo. people, it does pay off. <laughs> actually... To tolerate us. Yeah, tolerate us and <laughs> partake in our competitions. To all the people that did sub- make submissions, though, we do pr- appreciate that. And uh, as usual, it, it, it is very difficult because, yes. you know, I mean, it's they, they were all grand and epic in their own way. So That's what I was going to say, several. Uh, apparently, Rob was reaching back to his bodybuilding roots, and, and it's not only function that counts, but aesthetics, even in food. <laughs> no, that's the smiley face <laughs> at it points. <laughs> Okay, whatever. <laughs> hey, I've got some news here. Um, Strength and Muscle Sport News. This first one, everybody, I, we were sort of joking before we hit the record button. I finally got a decent mic in front of me here this week. Last week, I sounded like I was screeching. I was working through a little webcam, and before that, I was calling from hotels. And So anyway, I thought you might find this funny. This is relatively new uh, stuff, too. Uh, this is from uh, January 2012. It's from Scientific American. Listen to this. The Barry White Syndrome. <laughs> like, Rob's got the Barry White tones. Uh, why are deep voices attractive? It says Darth Vader had one thing going for him, a deep voice. Um, others, like Vin Diesel uh, and Barry White, include a common factor, a lower-pitched voice considered a positive masculine feature associated with older, heavier, hairier, more attractive men. How about that? 
Uh, studies have demonstrated a female preference for men with deeper voices uh, as short-term partners. It says, uh, especially if they themselves have a high-pitched voice or during the most fertile times of the menstrual cycle. There is certainly a link between testosterone and voice pitch. Deeper voices become associated with other manifestations like facial hair, all related to testosterone and consequently perceived sexual fitness. It says, again, those with lower-pitched voices are perceived as being physically larger, heavier, and perceived to be better fighters and providers. Now, here's where it gets sort of interesting, though. It says, however, semen analysis reveals that men with deeper voices have lower scores on seven different motility parameters when it comes to semen. Oh. So they're... um, they're ready for sex, but they're not ready to pass on those genes, I guess. Nah, our warriors are just stronger. We don't need as large of an army. That's it. You don't need a whole litter, you know. Yep. <laughs> it only takes one of ours. With, with many first. <laughs> so that's, that's Scientific American. I just thought that was kind of funny, because we were, especially because we were joking about the whole Barry White thing. So, uh, And I've got one uh, more relevant piece of news, I guess. This one is... Um, it's about cod protein. And if, if listeners, if you haven't heard about this, I've been hearing about this stuff for about a decade. Every once in a while, you'll hear in the scientific literature about something great about cod uh, or fish meal. And I just want to share this with you. This is by way of Joey Antonio, most recently, uh, April 2012, Beneficial Effect of Cod Protein on Skeletal Muscle Repair Following Injury. So just check this out. Uh, this is a rat study, by the way, but you got to start somewhere. This study examined the effects of peanut and cod protein on post-damage skeletal muscle repair compared with casein. And most listeners know, of course, casein is that slow protein, about 80% of milk. We hypothesize that because of the high arginine content, uh, these proteins would improve the resolution of inflammation and help sore muscles recover after injury. Measurements were taken at 0, 3, 14, and 24 uh days post-surgery, and it says compared with casein, peanut protein reduced muscle mass, actually, and was deemed having weak potential for muscle growth. Uh, It says, however, at day 14 post-soreness type injury, muscle mass in the um, injured muscles was higher in cod-fed protein, uh, cod-protein-fed rats, even uh, compared to casein. Uh, and it goes on to say that there were there was less neutrophils and macrophages. You know, those are white blood cells that get down into sore muscles uh, in the cod group. So improved resolution of inflammation, according to those. That's Junio Dort and colleagues. That's a uh, Canadian study, uh, applied physiology, nutrition, and metabolism. And again, April 2012. So, uh, and just to illustrate this, just a hair more. I've got a book in front of me I would suggest people, if you're interested in stuff like anabolic hormones or nutrition and how they interact, there's a book called Metabolic Modifiers. It was released by the federal government years ago in the 90s. Um, and I just want to read you a quick uh, quote or two. Here's one where they're talking about, they're talking about um, beta agonists like clenbuterol and then sex hormones and then how fish meal, again, sort of related to that cod protein, uh, helps. It says fish meal increased the weight of individual skeletal muscles in the hind leg by 15 to 19 percent over a 10-week growing p- period. Again, this is in livestock, but um, and the effects were additive with the, the beta agonist simaterol. And then here's another one, basically saying fish meal increased empty body carcass protein. You know, after they gut the animal, there's basically a skeleton and muscle left. Um, and the effects appeared to be additive with uh, additive with sex hormone implantation. So, again, with the fish meal stuff. So, I don't know if anybody, uh, listeners are familiar, but 
just keep that on the edge of your radar. Uh, I don't, I don't imagine that would powder up and taste very good. I don't know, but special qualities with cod protein, insulin sensitivity, less inflammation, stuff like that. So I think it's pretty cool. You just got to look as far as like Norway and Iceland and all the Viking types, man. That's a great observation. Yeah, see, look at that. Cod's a cold weather fish. I got an announcement too. Um, I'm going to be going up to, giving a seminar in the uh, San Francisco area up at Hercules CrossFit. So if anybody's in that area, look it up. It's going to be September 14th and 15th. Uh, shoot me a line. I can give you a, a, a link to the, um, the, the page where it's all, talks all about it. So going to be going over the power lifts and some Olympic lifting and stuff like that, programming, basic physics. Uh, should be a good time. Two days, uh, bringing on 50 people. So Sweet. Yeah, should be good. So, Dan, back to you. How have you been? I've, <clears throat> I've been fabulous. I kind of... I drifted off right there. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. We we were we uh, tend to do that. I, you know, I, I'm at, at my advanced years, you know, I I tend to nod off sometimes. You know, no, that's things why. are great. Things are great. Daughter just got married. Uh, just got back from discus throwing camp. You know, for a couple of weeks. Uh, did a kettlebell camp while I was there. Was that was which was really an interesting idea. Had some NFL coaches come down and hang out for a couple of days. With me. It was nice. You know. Are you getting excited watching all the. Uh... Olympic trials and whatnot? Well, uh, the people I worked with, uh, we had a mixed mixed bag. Uh, the javelin thrower I worked with uh, uh, exceeded expectations and made it to the final, which was great. Uh, one of the discus throwers I worked with uh, did um, kind of got through very well, but kind of got uh, ruled out a tactical error on, uh, uh, you know, just on the A standard. Uh, yeah, so it was good. Uh, the guy I worked with on the 400, uh, you know, he was a long shot to make the finals, and he, he did really well in his heats. And so it was overall, I mean, it was great. Uh, good. Yeah, as for excited about the Olympics, I mean, um, that's always a tough one. I mean, you know and I know what's going to happen here in the United States. They're going to show, you know, little preteen girls and, you know, yeah. in gymnastics crap 24-7. Yeah. And uh, if they have that guy from South Africa, the guy, and God bless him, I'm very impressed uh, with the legs. He'll be, you know, they'll be up close and personal and, uh, and all that stuff, and they won't show any part of the Olympics. That yeah. One thing that I, I, I did enjoy last time is we figured out on the Internet some ways to get around American broadcasting, and I was able to watch live the discus the shot, uh, a couple others, without Dwight Stone telling us, what a bitch. Really, really. After 40 years, why don't you come up with another, I don't know, I think the word is metaphor. That's a really yeah. good throw. I don't know, I'm just, I'm just tossing. <laughs> well, listen to me. Grumpy. Jeez, I'm sorry. Yeah. How's training going yourself? I think last time we had you on, you were just um, just recovering from your hip. It's really, uh, it's going well. Today I did uh, front squats and uh, uh, these the TRX rowing stuff. Uh, I did that in a full fast, which is always an interesting idea for me. Yeah. Squat after fast. Squat while fasting because, you know, you feel kind of goofy when you're done. You're like, yeah. but I think there's some real – I think that's actually, you know, just tough. But I think that training while fasting, it's been around since – oh, I can't remember that company that you you buy all their fairy dust from about 30 years ago. But the idea of training in a fasted state – I think there's, I do think there's something to it. I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, please, you know, Dan John bandwagon jumper, but, uh, 
I think there's something to it. I just you can't ignore that bizarre feeling you have after the workout, you know. And if it's and at, at my age, if it is a girl, that's a lot better than you know going to Tijuana get, you know. Yeah. <laughs> hey Dan, how long did you fast before you trained? Uh, was it hours and hours? Was it a day? Well, it would be about fifteen or sixteen hours. No, nope, maybe a little bit, maybe almost eighteen. Oof. I, last year, I remember I was in a, it was a CrossFit gym in DC. We were at a, a conference and I was getting ready for a competition and I hadn't eaten just since the night before, probably a similar time frame. And I remember I was squatting and after a couple of sets, not real heavy, just like, you know, 315 or something mm-hmm. like that. And after a couple of sets, I mean, I was loopy. So Loop. I don't know. I don't know if, if I would say it was a good feeling or not, but it was definitely weird. I really had to focus, you know, not to sort of, I don't want to say black out, but lose concentration, you know. So yeah. I, I don't know. Some people are affected differently, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I'm up here at altitude, and, of course, uh, we had a rainstorm while I was working out, so Utah became an, a muggy for Utah. So mm. I was training it. So I had all these things going on, but I, thought, I, I just find it an interesting thing. Uh, John Berardi mentioned to me not long ago about this, about, you know, training or, or here's another idea I like. I don't know if this would be perfect for everybody, but to do something physical before every meal. Well, you know, about a couple of years ago, the guy had the, what they called the bowel movement diet. Uh, he he would only eat after a bowel movement, and he lost I don't know 100 pounds in a year. And people said, "Well, is that a good idea?" And my thought is, anything, anytime you have uh, a system that uh, you trust and is working, I, I I say hats off to it. So before every meal, if you did, I don't know, I'm just tossing it, a set of curls before, you know, breakfast, the squats before lunch, I think you'd be miles ahead. I, I think, I think anytime you put a system in place, it works. And by the way, Lonnie, you're here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I was just looking over some things I pulled from a couple of years, uh, just a couple of days ago about your, uh, your idea of, uh, of, uh, you gotta measure recovery too. You know that recovery monitor you put up for the... the oh, tri- right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Camp about... Oh, my gosh. We're sneaking up almost a decade ago on that. But I really still use that uh, with my athletes. And I always make them make their own uh, now, have their own formula. Uh, because, I mean, I think X is really important, but they don't, you know. Mm-hmm. I still think there's some w- real wisdom in that. And I hope to still push that. Yeah. What did you call it? Recovery index? Oh, well, actually, there's a real term in the literature called total quality recovery, TQR. And there were two authors that made that famous, Kelman and Kenta. I think they're, uh, Northern European type guys. But, um, yeah, and you know what? I think the general concept, not to sidetrack, but is basically that if a lot of coaches, I mean, if, if they think their only goal is to apply a stimulus to an athlete, then they can drive them into the ground. I mean, some of these coaches, if they ran businesses, they'd go bankrupt because they never put anything back, you know. Right. And that's what the whole idea of these recovery models are, is put back, either take, a, you know, a power nap or a snack or hot, cold contrast shower, meditation or favorite music or stretch outside of the gym. You know, all these things to try to purposely put back an equal amount of effort that you put in, you know. Exactly. So. You know, Bowerman's Hard Easy program, and if you read the book, I think it's called Bowerman, where he talks about... He, the, the, the author just didn't want to do the easy days. And uh, as a side note, my brother Gary, who was a great high school runner, was destroyed by his coach because he did the Bowerman system, but he thought the easy thing was the pussies. 
So we threw out. So it was, the workouts were hard, hard track meet, hard, hard track meet. Oh boy! Yeah. And so my brother would come to the summer, and he would get away from this guy. All of a sudden, he he was able to keep up with the San Jose State guys at the time, and he kept. What, what's wrong with me in track season? Well, it, no recovery. You can't you can't outsleep crazy workouts. You know, you, you right. just. I know bodybuilders always say there's no such thing as overtraining, just under recovery. But in a, a non-anabolic supported athlete, I just don't think that's true. No, I don't know. If you look at the science, it's really clear. You can't out eat or out sleep, you know, brutal training. There's a certain time component there that takes days, you know, up to five days. I mean, my dissertation was on this stuff and you can see different metabolic and hormone and blood sugar and blood cell changes for up to five days sometimes. So you can't just say, I'm going to eat this away. In one yeah. day. And that was one of the things that um, the Barbarian Brothers, who were my original heroes, once one of their famous quotes, they had many, but was, you know, there's no such thing as overtraining. There's only under-sleeping, under-eating. And, you know, for a long time when I was a young guy, I tried to live up to hopefully that being, you know, the ideal. But, you know, then you get to a certain point of maturity and knowledge base where you're just like, you know what, they might be my heroes, but... That's so <laughs> well, they're that, not physiologists. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the blood work and stuff like that, it just doesn't lie. You know, yeah. you keep, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure it will help on some level. It's just not going to, yeah, you can't ignore the temporal realities there. Well, and the other thing, too, is I think we miss sometimes, and I think this is harder to address as science. Of course, I was going to joke, I don't believe in science, but we'll move on. Uh, is that, uh, you know, Steve Ledbetter is with me, and we're, we're kind of putting together some uh, a book here, but... Uh, he was talking about doing a marathon years ago and how depressed he got the month after the marathon. You know, it's the ugly secret of marathon runners is they're, they're all freaking depressives. You know, they're all lunatics. And I'm not generalizing here. Uh, but the other thing, we're talking about max deadlifts. And even though my blood profiles might be back up in, say, five days, my the hit to my central nervous system doesn't come back for a long, long time. Yeah. yeah, it's not just stuff happening peripherally. That's right. I mean, and I think that's where powerlifters are ahead of the game when it comes to bodybuilders, that they focus a lot more on central drive and not just like how much glycogen's in your muscle or something, you know. Yeah. Well, Marty Gallagher talks about, you know, we, uh, you know, his programs, you're going to lift heavy two times a year at the yeah. Nationals and at the Worlds. Uh, the rest of the time is prep. And, I, you know, for an elite lifter, I agree 100% with that. And I think we've misunderstood the Bulgarians and the Chinese and the the Iranians and the Greeks for a long time about what is heavy to them, you know, yeah. what a heavy day is. But I mean, I would, I'm not, this is all, this all came from my idea of uh, eating in a, uh, training in a fasted state, <laughs> eating in a fasted state. Now that's in my next book. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I like that. Uh, but training in a fasted state, I mean, all these things, I think we're starting to, you know, there's some windows starting to clear up, I think, in our, in our industry uh, uh, related to some of this stuff. Um, well, okay, that's that's so. Yeah, I'm training. I feel good. Um, I'm actually starting to move a little bit, like a thrower would move. Um, I'm doing some interesting uh, things to test myself, like I'm I'm kicking the ball left footed all the time, because if I can. If I can't kick a ball soccer style, uh, I can't throw the discus. You, you follow my point? So, um, yeah, it's been great. Okay, next question. Um, no, I think I think that's that's it. We're just going to take a little break, and then we'll move on to the topic, and, and we'll all chew on that for a while. Sounds good. 
Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, ironradio.org listeners, we're back. This is Lonnie and Phil and Rob, and we've got Danny John with us. And we're going to discuss um, responsibilities of coaches. And what I want to do here is because I immediately, when Phil and I first kind of germinated this, was I saw a lot of parallels with the responsibilities of teachers. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw out some stuff. This is just from a couple of um, what I might call intellectual websites. One of them is even just a highly voted uh, answer on Yahoo Answers, it's, but it was written by a teacher, a longtime teacher. So I'm going to throw out some of this, and we can see how some of these apply to uh, coaching resistance athletes. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. So the first one I've got here is from um, this intellectual website. I don't know what else to call it, called Buzzle.com. Uh, it's got a lot of positive votes on Google, but again, these are some things to think about. It says the responsibilities of a teacher transcend the act of merely passing on knowledge and disciplining students. A proactive teacher can direct a student to leading a fulfilling life that goes beyond just his successful career. And then down at the bottom, a few more points. And again, if you guys want to uh, think about any one of these, it says toward themselves, a teacher should acquire relevant professional education and to become a partner in the learning cycle with their students. And then it says toward the students specifically, Inculcate model behavior and mannerisms by self-example. Prepare long-term teaching programs built around daily sessions. Uh, plan, set, and evaluate and grade and test the student. Be honest in the student appraisal. And be ready to adjust teaching styles to meet individual needs of students. So that's February 2012. Uh, I'll save the other one. What, what do you guys think about some of that? How does that apply? I mean, I, I think it all fits. I mean, a lot of them ring a bell. I mean, like, one of the first things I teach people that are coming into my place is that um, uh, there was a part in there about the criticism of students and being honest about their, their progress. Right, yep. It's, it's, it's teaching people that come in the gym that, that criticism is a good thing, um, that because I'm telling them, hey, we need to work on this, we need to, okay, keep your chest up, do well, whatever's going on in that lift, I'm not getting down on them. I'm trying to help them. Um, and it's teaching people that from day one that, that – the worst thing you can do to an athlete or a training partner or whatever is just say, hey, great lift, man. You did that. That was all you. Um, mm -hmm. there, there's constantly something to work on. 
So, I mean, that, that's the first one that jumped out at me. I don't know. What about you, Dave? Whoa, whoa. That's, that's, that's the pizza company it's calling the me. pizza, yeah. Yeah, so he's ordering yeah. a bacon pizza there. Sorry about that. Bacon. <laughs> Am I still on? Yeah, yeah you're, you're still on, there. bud. So any okay. thoughts on some of that? Uh, I can... well, sure. I mean, I mean, I taught. Don't forget, I taught high school for uh, probably long enough to teach all of you young punks. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, of course. I mean, that, yeah. I, I've never seen... It's interesting. There's a wonderful book. Uh, the guy's name it's, uh, is uh, is Warren. I think it's I think it's Robert Penn Warren, the same as the guy who wrote the, uh, some other things. But he's a religious uh, education specialist, and he came out with a book that had twelve different kind of types of teaching religious education. You know, you know, Sunday school, whatever you want to call. It. And he said that the the best way to see teaching is the coach model. And it's mm-hmm. funny because coach, and he had this whole list of things, you know, and, uh, you know, the professorial model and the, the walks with model, which is very good too. But he found that the model of a coach to be the single best way to, to teach. And I, of course, I was lucky because the entire, my entire career, I was a high school, you know, I was an academic wing, either teaching history or theology or economics. But I also, every afternoon, coached weightlifting, football, wrestling, track and field. So I always had that opportunity to kind of to, to seamlessly bounce both sides of that, so to speak. So, I mean, I mean, the same kid I just had in economics was now my discus thrower. The same kid I just had in theology was now my, you know, offensive tackle. So it was, it was nice to, at least in my career, to see that there is no... There shouldn't be no line, you know, this is teaching, this is coaching. It should be a, you know, uh, I'm going to throw that word in there one more time. I think good coach coaches walk with their athletes. It comes from Luke 24, the idea of walking the seven miles with your athlete. And I think that's the best image I could ever tell you to, for coaching is that, okay, certainly I, I think I should lead you, okay? And certainly I think I should judge you. But most importantly, I should walk with you. Um, and it is... No matter how long our, you know, from A to B is, from here to there, it doesn't matter. The idea is that I'm going to walk with you on this, on this process. I think that's something that one of my athletes really missed in the last, this, this athlete missed this. And it's, it's, it's a little hard to talk about because the failure, uh, that happens in my field this month is a four year failure. Okay. Um, but this athlete trusted me to get to throw a really, really excellent distance in one of the events, but then started listening to every voice in the wind, not realizing that I was trying to walk with this person all the way through the Olympic trials, through the Olympic Games, but even more through 2013, 14, 15, and 16, 17, and 18, when maybe we're raising children, maybe we're a community member. I think the athlete missed that point, and they want they went to somebody else for the quick, the quick answer. And so I've got to be clearer to my athletes in the future that if, if, if you're going to bring me onto your team, this is a lifetime agreement. You're going to walk with me, hopefully, until you bury me or, you know, sadly, if I bury you. You know, Dan, we were just talking before we hit record about how uh, it's sort of in the – at least in the you know old school, some of the like uh, Asian history books I read and things like that. I mean I'm not reading in, in you know Mandarin or something, but about how a lot of martial arts schools, the first thing that we would say is who's your teacher? You know, what school are you from? And it, it was a, a big indicator of, 
you know, their approach, how good they are, or what have you. And but it was very much that you know you choose a mentor for life kind of thing. Right. Uh, and and I think now, especially with the internet, you know, young guys are uh, they're flitting all over the place. You know, they're trying one thing and another, and they never they never live anything long enough. Not even six months or a year usually. You know. And then where are they? They're they're left scattered, and you know they don't go they don't go very far any down you know one given road, I guess. Exactly. You know, like uh, you know, like you you go to Rips Forum or you see Wendler's Five Three One people, and it's like these young kids go on there, and you know, and they're so abrasive now too. It's like you know, it's like you know they'll they'll have their best lifts, and it'd be like, really, you're talking to me that I should read the book? Maybe you ought to put the book on top of the barbell because that's more weight in your lift than that, you big sissy. Uh, so no, I agree with you. You know, it's funny you say that because I'm a Utah State, uh, Aggie, uh, very famous discus throwing tradition. And its roots are Coach Ralph Mond. And I'm very proud of it. In fact, at discus camp, uh, I had long conversations with John Powell, former world record holder, you know, and once I started talking to him about, you know, the Utah State tradition and what we did and the kind of things, it, it was like I realized how important those odd lessons were from coach mon right make yourself a slave to good habits that was one of his most he said that to us all the time he said make yourself a slave to good habits and it was just it really made a difference and there's not a lot of it's hard though i mean in this day and age you know with the helicopter parents and with the internet i mean the internet my god i mean the internet alone is is a nightmare but uh because you know uh you're on linear periodization doing starting strength. And then you do that for three weeks, and then someone talks about Wendler's book. So now you're doing five three weeks. weeks. Yeah. And you know where this is heading, right? And then someone goes, you know, reads a CrossFit article, you know, CrossFit for football, you know, and then that's fine. And then they go to a Nautilus site, and they go, you know, and you know how it goes. And so there's just too much now. And that's one of the things I wanted to bring up that I'm seeing a lot lately is in – I guess I'll call them so-called coaches. You're seeing a lot of these people come in, and they get what we all did initially, and it's that it's that fire for fitness. Um, and now they have this weird ability to become a coach over a weekend. Yes. Um, when they're three months into this fitness craze, and mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot these these coaches. So they come in and they're real fired up, and they want to do Olympic lifting, and they bring in all these these clients. And the clients initially come in, they're going to be great at Olympic lifting, but then this guy's the coaches decides, well, now I'm into endurance running and karate. So he's trying to push that on all his, all his clients. So it's like they all have to change along with him type of thing. And it's it's getting these whole new – it's like no one has any focus, and they have nobody – there's a whole group of, of coaches that have zero focus now. Um, so. You know what, Phil? I, I was just talking about some of the old martial arts books that I've read and, and things like that is, you know, there's some old Zen saying, like, it's something along the lines of forget all your bargaining and just get with the program. And I yeah. think that if you've got your, if your mentor, if your teacher is changing all over the place and doesn't adhere to a given school of thought, I mean, at all, I'm not saying not be flexible or maybe change mm-hmm. some of your conclusions, but you've got to have some kind of philosophy about who you are, what your home gym stands for, and that kind yeah. of thing. And you just don't see that much anymore. I mean, before we hit record, we were talking about the, the concept of this is my home gym, or I'm proud yeah. of my coach or my, my mentor, and you know, you throw out his name like dropping names. Yeah. I, you don't see much of that anymore, I think, sadly. Maybe in Olympic lifting more. Uh, but in a lot of the strength sports, you don't even see that home gym pride. You know, like what gym do you represent? You know? Right. Well, that's why I wrote 
well, Lurie is just uh, finishing the editing on Intervention. It was that DVD I did a year or so ago, and I'm really proud of the fact that when someone comes to me as an adult, yeah, I know the Olympic loves them, and I can teach them, and I, I can, but that might not be what they need. So it's funny, I'm still an Olympic lift-based guy. I never teach people the Olympic lifts, ever, because they're not there. It's, it's going to take me two years to undo all the damage. And by the time we get there, you're two years older, and you got, you've discovered a whole new couple ways to damage them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's funny, I'm still a, a Dick Knopf school of Pacifica Barbell Club. You know, snatch and clean and jerk, snatch and clean and jerk. Answered all questions. But that might be you have to do bat wings and planks for two years before you can snatch, you know. So I, I agree very much with you. And that's, that's my idea behind intervention. You know, what are the basic human movements? And I, I just have them as push, pull, hinge, squat, loaded, carry. And then the big question right after that is, well, are you doing them? One other thing, can I just add one thing? You know, I do a lot of these, uh, I, I do a lot of these, uh, I think it's called the circuit now. Uh, companies will bring me in for conferences and workshops now to speak. And I'm on it. I like it a lot. But one person gave me some interesting advice. I said, well, what do you want me to talk on next year? And the person said, I want you to do the same exact talk. And I was like, well, that's that's crazy. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a teacher. You know, I think, you know, first you do, you know, ancient history. Then you do, you know, Western Civ. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 80% of the people in this industry drop out every And I tell you, it almost knocked me off my chair. So what's happening is that most of the people who get influenced by uh, trainers, let's say you use the word, mm-hmm. their, their trainer isn't going to be around. Yeah, right, yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what, just to keep this going, here's here's another one on responsibilities of good teachers. And uh, some of this is we're echoing what you guys are saying already, but let me throw this out. One is... Not only possess an in-depth knowledge, but transmit their passion for the subject. I see that as something personally that's especially relevant to coaches. Don't you? Absolutely. Well, don't, I mean, forget, don't forget the I, root word of passion. It means to suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, passion means to suffer. To suffer for love is usually how it's explained. But to be a great parent, you better learn to suffer. I mean, uh, you know, you're not going to sleep. You are going to struggle. You are going to have those moments where... There's only two people in the world who can talk to me the way my daughters do, and it's my daughters. Uh, you know, to be a great athlete, you must suffer. There is no, you must overcome injuries. You must watch pieces of your body break off and have them put back on and start again. You just have to. <laughs> you got to vom- vomit the bucket, and you have to do stupid things, and that is to suffer. Um, it, you know, uh, and I think when people forget passion, the, the key to passion is are you willing to suffer? And let's be honest, be a good coach. You have to suffer. There's a lot of crap you got to. I mean, there's crap you got to do. Uh, the worst part of being the, uh, the head track coach is having to constantly fill out forms. You have to have the courage to fill out stupid forms over and over and over. And I tell you, you, you know, you can. Oh, I love the kids. I'm going to fill out, you know, forms. You know, it's, that's a tough one to figure out. 
Well, it's true, and that's why I, I always say to people, like, I mean, you have to enjoy the process, and I think that's where a lot of people get stumbled up, certainly in in the, the discipline of strength, you know, where we're talking about bodybuilding, right? So many people get into it because they, they, they want that, the, the result of it, and they, you know, want the end part of it, but they don't enjoy the actual process of it. And my whole thing is, and Lonnie and I have talked about this at length, the only people who last are the people who, who, who you know, have a true passion for the, for the process of actually, you know, going to the gym and lifting and all that kind of stuff, because... Otherwise, you're dead in the water. You know, I mean, six months, a year, two years later, you're 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 done. I mean, nobody's going to put up with that. You know what I mean? Like you're saying about passion. I mean, nobody's going to put up with all the, you know, the the, the, the struggles and the the in, you know the uh, inconveniences and all the the pain and all that kind of stuff unless they have something that goes well beyond just you know well you know the, arriving at you know what is supposed to be quote quote the end result you know the the. Yeah. The moment of triumph, you know what I mean? Like it's it's the process, and I think it goes back to even old sayings like, you know, it's not the destination, it's the journey, kind of thing. You know, it's, I think that that links Rob exactly. I think with, with what Danny was just saying about the, the pain and the passion, that's woven into the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. standing on stage and being handed a trophy—if that's all you all you want—go buy yourself a damn trophy. No. You know, if you want <laughs> right. a little piece of plastic and marble. It's yeah. it's what it represents, which to me is months of suffering, kind of, you know. Well, I mean, or earning it. I mean, there's joys in there too, of course. And I always liked it, how you know. Tom Platz once said to me that you know when he was competing as a bodybuilder, his whole thing was he, when he was on stage, he loved competing. But his whole thing was um, when I'm up there and I'm posing, I'm trying to you know through my the emotion that I'm, I'm putting in my movements and so forth, I'm, I'm trying to parlay to the crowd. The journey it took for me to get there, yeah. you know, the, the the struggle and the the triumph and the the failure and all those types of things, the sweat and the heartache, um, and it, you know that really resonated strongly with me. That that whole idea of trying to like project that out. I mean, obviously, um, you know, whether anybody got that or not is up for debate. But I mean, you know, the fact that's what was going through and that was kind of what was motivating him when he was at at that you know end moment of actually standing on the stage. That's what he was trying to you know put forth. Right. I remember once Platt said something about putting every ounce of inner person into his training and into that day, and then here it is all in one night. This is I'm going to show people what I've done. You know, yeah. in a, in right. a very brief, brief shining moment, I'm going to show you the last year of me. You know. Right. Well, I mean, and I think that's really crucial. I, I think part of the job of the coach, you know, I tell my athletes all the time. I can remember back when I was still a pretty elite thrower, and I'd be training with my kids and throwing. And I, every so often you hear that a ninth grade boy say, I'm so frustrated I don't throw as well as you. And I look at him and say, no offense, but you're not good enough to be frustrated. You know, <laughs> you know I had an athlete one time tell me, coach, I never drink. I only get drunk about once a weekend. And I thought, I said, really? Because, <laughs> you know, when I, for six years I didn't go on a date, nor did I drink for six straight years to get my goals. Not one. Nothing. <laughs> The, the monks at the monastery made fun of me because I was so, you know, because I was so, you know, my, my life was so boring. And, and the thing. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you have to give up if you want to be great. And the road to greatness is, 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 I mean, I'm undersized for a discus store. My goal when in the ninth grade was to get a full ride scholarship to Utah State, as I mentioned before. And the thing is, I gave up so much to get that goal. I mean, I gave up everything. Did I? Well, I kind of sitting here right now with my wife and family in the room, and it's uh, we, we're taking today off. I'm basically retired now, and I have to ask. I, I, I'd like to sit down with my athletes who toss in the towel early. It's like really, 
really? Okay, I know you partied every weekend and you had three girlfriends in high school and you couldn't go to the track meet. You brought your girlfriend to the state meet. You didn't want to sit there and you're, so you threw crap. Oh, I get it. When you're 55, you weren't, you're not going to be retired. You follow my point? I feel this way. You got to tell your athletes, you got to pour it in somewhere in your life. You know, you got to pour it in somewhere. And I, I decided to pour it in high school and junior college. You know, I went all in. I went all in on the discus young. All in. I mean, I had, I had no fallback. Uh, and yet I sit here today thinking it was worth every second, every minute, every sacrifice. They weren't sacrifices because I can do, if I want to get drunk right now, it's, you know, what is it, two in the afternoon? You know, if I want to sit down with a bottle of vodka and some grapefruit juice, I can do it right now if I want to. Mm-hmm. I go to a movie, I can't. If I want to go kiss a girl, my wife's right over there, I'll go kiss her. It's all worth it. But you got to, when are you going to go all in in your life? Most athletes can never understand that. Actually, you know what? When we, when I was very young, my brother is just a year and a half younger than I am, and he looked at me once. I don't remember what we were doing, and he said, we were, we were talking about the gym, and he said, you know what, Lonnie? He said, we got to hit it hard right now while we're young and strong. And I th- and I, I tend to be a little deeper than he is, I guess, <laughs> and I just thought, damn, that's like wisdom from the mouths of babes in a way. You know, I mean, here's, he's just so straightforward. And, I mean, there was so much truth into what he just said. Let's hit it now hard while we're young and strong. And I'm not saying you can't do that when you're middle-aged, not by, you know, but much toward like what you just explained, Dan. That was stuff that I still don't regret. I never will regret that stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. No, ex- exactly. And, I, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm very impressed with your brother. And the funny thing is, it's like I tell people, well, you don't know how to squat? Well, when do you think you're going to – Bump into some magic machine that teaches you how to squat. Yeah. You know, four years from now, it's still going to be four years from now. Why don't you learn today? You know, I uh, I think that's part of the job of the coach. Is the part of the job of the coach is is to is to is to show the path. You know, this is the path, and the kids will want to say, but what about all these other trails? Those are nice trails too. Yeah. There's the path. Hey, well, I'll I'll tell you. Tell you. If I can just interject, this is perfect. Listen to this. You got this is totally echoing what you just said, Dan. It says effective teachers make the purpose and content explicit. They plan carefully. They use systematic assessment and feedback. They help the student make connections and encourage them to think about thinking. How about that? So I just see that as very reflective of what you just said. Well, very much. You know, my daughter who just got here, Kelly, she's a first grade teacher, and. you guys know of a better time to learn to read than, I don't know, when you're in kindergarten, first grade, or second grade? Do you know of a better time? I mean, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just put it off? You know, put it off until the kid's 20. Because that's a lot of work, you know, learning all those letters and yeah. words, and, and then you have to put them in that thing called a sentence. You know, just, that's just too, put it off. You know, I laugh because so many of the coaches I know who put off, like, for example, demanding deep squatting. It's just a small thing. But if you don't teach it in the ninth grade or eighth grade, when are you going to do it? Because yeah. once that kid starts doing those cheat and half back squats, they'll never learn it correctly. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's definitely one of those earlier the better things. I had a great explanation, another explanation, an example of this the other day. I had, I had probably ten clients in here that ranged from thirty-five to fifty, and then I had a ten-year-old kid, and he was doing Olympic lifting, and it was. I I could easily tell him something in five words, and his body knew how to do it right away. And it was like, 
I just turned to all the other people and said, why the hell don't you guys learn this easy? And it's just, it's, it's this unteaching thing, like you were talking about earlier. They don't have, they're not, he's not mixed up with all that old stuff. You know, it's like, okay, squat until your butt hits your ankles. And it, okay, you know. Um, it's just so much easier early. And, um, yeah, blank yeah, slate, you know, the, the kid's yeah, blank just, slate. Yeah. He has no other paths. He's just looking for me for one. You know, he's not looking to go down another one. Um, and it's, it's, you know, our duty to kind of lead people there, I guess. And no, I, think, I think that brings up a good point about the whole idea of teaching, you know, and talking about, you know, we're masterful teachers and coaches and all this type of thing. And, but when you see a, you know, a truly, truly successful union, I think, I think it can't be underestimated the whole idea of just synergy between, you know, like, like we're talking about right now, the whole idea that the student himself is, is, is willing to learn. Yeah. I mean, let's be realistic. A lot of people just aren't. They'll say they are. You know, and, and any of us who have done any sort of coaching or personal training knows that there's lots of people out there who are willing to part with their money so you can be their personal trainer. But I would say a majority of those people usually don't really want to learn. No, yeah. You know, yeah, there's a famous it, they, quote about that. I, I don't remember who said it, but it said something about far more important than what we learn is what we're not willing to learn. You know, so if you get somebody who's they've got an opinion or you know, you, I think a student on some level has to surrender to their coach as to sort of you're my mentor. I'm going to follow what you say. I'm going to bank on your wisdom. Um, and especially like Dan was saying, in today's Internet age, if you don't do that, if you don't say, hey, you know, uh, Mr. John or Mr. Stevens is my coach and, you know, this is my home gym, if you don't take some pride in that and follow the teachings to some extent, you're you're going to be victimized in the chaos of the Internet. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I like to try to explain to clients. You know, I'm, I'm a coach. I'm, I'm just the architect. You know, I can I can lay out the plan, but if you're the you're the building crew. If you don't do what I plan, I, I can't tell you what you're going to build. <laughs> you know, it's, it's up to you to actually do it. My great coaches, Dick Notmeyer and Ralph, Ralph Mon, both would. I mean, if I remember Pete Hoffman one time went to this national weightlifting camp, and he came back and he was talking about the double pole and all these things. Well, we all later found out it was just a bunch of hooey. And Dick said, "Well, that's fine, but in this gym." This is how we're going to do things because this has worked before. And until you get to X, you're not good enough. Well, God, I remember Pete practicing this double pull for hours at a time. And, of course, the research never supported it, right? Right? Because um, no one lifts like that. But And then Ralph Mon was the same way. You know, someone would go to a track meet and watch somebody doing something, and Coach Mon would say, well, yeah, but we've had guys throw 230 doing our technique. And this guy throws 190. So why don't you listen to me? It was, you, you've got to also have the ability to say, you know, as a coach, I think it's, that's fine, but not here. Go, yeah. Yeah. Not here. Right. No, I agree. And you've, you've got to have the, I mean, that's one thing I'm proud of that, that we do here. If, if they're not a fit, they can just go. You know, if you're not willing to learn and learn it our way, I, I really don't have the time and I don't need you. There are plenty of places that do. And that's not me trying to be a arrogant. It's just me. I take it seriously. <laughs> so, well, I'll tell you, I, if you're not very careful, and even the ACSM has guidelines on how to deal with different kinds of people, but I at least you've got the luxury in a way of if you've got somebody who's a troublemaker, you oust them. I mean, yeah, I, I was talking yeah. about old martial arts gyms. You think one of these terse, old, you know, super chewy, uh, few words kinds of guys, they just say, out, you know, yeah. and you'd be like, but, but out, you know. And that was I mean, the whole thing that, you know. That was like, it, you know. You know, you look like an old guy like Vince Geronda, you know, the old legendary kind of bodybuilding, you know, guru kind of guy. And 
his gym was like that. You know, he didn't believe in back squats, all this kind of stuff. And he had no part of it, you know, and, and, you know, like him, hate him. A lot of people hated him, you know, agree with a lot of what he says, don't agree. I certainly disagree with a lot of what he said. But the point being is, at least he was true to his, his yeah. way of doing things, you know, and he would say to guys, you know, look, you know, there's, there's my gym and there's Goals gym, there's World gym. This is how we do it here, you know, and if, 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 if you don't want to do it my way, go to the, one of the other gyms. And, and that's, I, I honestly think that's a, a mark of a great coach because, I mean, I think they're in it for the right reason. They care. They know if, if people do it this way, I know you will succeed. And if if I were to let those people stay and I just didn't care and I, I just took their paycheck and let them do what they wanted, I'm just in it for the money. You know, I really don't care at that point. You know, and I don't want to be that. You know, I, I want my athletes to, to succeed and I want people to do their best. And I think it's our duty to be upfront and, and and just honest. You know, I, I love it when somebody comes up to me and they've been training for two weeks and they said, how long is it going to take me to be awesome? Ah. Well, it's like, well, give me a decade and we'll be close probably. And they look at you <laughs> with that blank stare. It's like, oh, well, you know, what do you call awesome? To me, it's going to take you a while to be awesome, yeah. you know. And they but need your I, advice. They mm-hmm. need your advice that the process is going to be fun. You shouldn't jump that far ahead. Yeah, I mean, what do I do? Tell them six months and then six months from now they're they're six months ahead, but they're definitely not awesome. You know, then, I, then I'm just a liar. Dick Knott used to hand a, a, a new kid a bodybuilding magazine, and he would tell him, just kind of scroll through and uh, find find which body you want. And, uh, we'll, we'll get you, you know, we'll get you a program to look just like that. And, and the kid would say, well, how long will it take? He goes, well, for most people, you know, about six months. But, but for you, <laughs> <laughs> once I heard that about the third time and I got the sarcasm of it, I, uh, I, it's, it's still a joy to think about. Yeah. 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 Hey, guys, I, I want to toss out one last thing before we run out of time. He, this is one last thing. I just want to get uh, both Dan's and Phil's experience with this. And even, Rob, I mean, I know you, you have fewer clients. You don't sort of coach in, in mass or anything. But it says, um, good teachers promote and instigate easy communication among their students, promoting good class rapport. Now, Phil, you and I were talking before we hit record mm-hmm. about a situation where that didn't happen. Do you yeah. are you comfortable talking about that or? Um, no, I, I mean a little. We can just talk in generalities. Um, you know about you know just just a situation where people aren't kind of getting. Oh, I'm trying to be be vague here. Um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of situations where coaches like it was kind of like what we talked about earlier. A coach gets. Uh, at one point, he, he comes in and, and he's into this, and then he, he goes over in this direction, and, and now he's into that. And um, the clients are just left on their own if they're still back where he was, and that's the, the, the area they want to venture in. Um, you, you know, you're seeing a lot of that now. And I but mean, you know that, what? That's a, a peer support, I, I, I yeah. think that goes hand in hand with the partnership. If the, if the, teacher, so the coach too. has to be a partner, you got to have gym mates around you, too. You know what I mean? you got to have fellow people who are believing in the same things that you believe in on some level, right? And that's well, what certainly you know, helps. We have people coming yeah. here for meets, and that's we're consistently, I consistently get comments about, you know, I'll have 30 people from, from my gym here, and let's say 15 or 20 of them are lifting. All 30 of them, though, are behind those lifters. They're helping them. They're screaming for them, no matter if that's their sport or not. You know, my Highland Games athletes are in here yelling at my power lifters, saying, you can do this, you know, come on. We're all behind you type of thing. And it's very much a, it's a family atmosphere, and the whole gym is behind you. Um and I think that's something that's a little bit missing in a lot of places, oh, especially yeah. especially the commercial atmosphere. 
Definitely, um, because it used to be that you know anything that any place that actually had sort of resistance training equipment, everybody was there with, with kind of the same idea. But yeah, I mean now, you know, all these places are are home to so many just varied people. You know, this guy over here wants to be you know the next mixed martial arts champion. This yeah. guy wants to be Mr. Olympia. This guy wants to just CrossFit. That could that one over there wants to lose a hunt, you know, some some weight. This guy, it, it's so different that, it's, like you say, it's hard to have a, that kind of that team mentality because yeah. But I mean, just, like we talked about last week or the week before, it's it's you know in in the end we all have more in common than we have apart. And I mean that's the one of the first things I tell a client when they're coming in here, they're looking at a gym, and I tell them you know my job as a coach is. My job is you to tell me what you want to be, and then I make you that. My job isn't to make you what I want you to be. So so once you figure out what you want to be, tell me, and, and we'll get you there. And everybody here will be behind you. And they don't care if you want to be uh, the, the best ping pong player in the world. I'll give you some strength training for that. Of course, you're going to have to go elsewhere. Um, we'll, we'll make you have a really fast wrist. So, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't care. As long as you have a passion and a desire... I'll lead you there, or I will take my my responsibility is to point you to the person who can. Yeah, yeah. you know. Well, hey, Dan, what what do you do when you've got a group of guys or gals to foster that sort of home gym camaraderie or, or peer how, how support? Long, how long do I have to answer? Seriously, ten minutes. Okay. Well, okay. There's three things. Okay, and this is something I. Are you okay with me just kind of going right now? Roll with oh, it. Yeah. Roll with it. Yep. There's three things. Um, that I think dominate. The, 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 it, 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 the, these are the three core concepts I use, and they are number one is is results. And I, I know that sounds stupid, but at some level, your people want results. And I, I know that sounds crazy, and it's interesting because I always tell people uh, a problem is something like losing my keys. If I drop my keys in the garbage, and I wait a week, and it's in the landfill, if the United States of America through all of our resources at that, we could get those keys back. Now, it co- could cost a trillion dollars. Uh, we could have to use minesweepers and, you know, maybe hire 100,000 people to, to go through and weed out of, you know, every ounce. But we'd find my keys, right? Because losing your keys is a problem. The other side of things is a mystery. You know, love is a mystery. You know, why does my wife love me? That's one of the great mysteries of this planet, I think. But... What happens in results, the first one is results, is people come in and we've turned, like, for example, fat loss into a mystery here in the United States. But really, it's just a problem. I think curves nailed a whole bunch of things correctly. The only thing they didn't nail was results. Okay? So as long as you're getting results, as long as people are on the path, on the path from A to B. And by the way, Cervantes said, it's the road, not the end. It is the Nightingale, Earl Nightingale. It's it's the worthwhile journey, you know, it's the journey to the goal. That's what people want. Because you know what? You can get your body back down to 4%. But, you know, if you don't take care of business, this is going to be up to 40 in no time. Uh, The second area that I always try to focus on is mastery. Okay, so results first. I I took a couple of years ago, in fact, it's interesting because two of the athletes are here today. Um, 2008, I took a group of throwers only to attract me. And uh, I think we took one first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth in the girls' discus. And we did better in some. Then we stopped on the way home at Burger King or something like that. And 
all the work those kids had done, they saw how much better they were. They, it made it all happy. So results makes everybody love each other. I tell you, win the state championship, everybody. Uh, second point is mastery. And the word I always use, like, there's a word in Greek called erete. And you see it throughout the Iliad and the Odyssey, and they always translate it into ethics. And that means it all. Literally, to be good at all things. Uh, I always have to... Brad Pitt, and I don't. But in the movie Troy, it's the most unwatchable movie ever made. Uh, except for when Brad Pitt's on the screen. Because in that movie, he has attitude. So, most of your clients, and this is a quote, don't want to look stupid. And so when you, for example, and I've heard this several times from you guys today, in this gym we do this. If, if okay, if all we're gonna do is snatch and clean and jerk, and you came in on day one, this is day four thousand, you're gonna look pretty good at snatching and clean and jerk. But if on month one we're an Olympic lifting gym, month two we're Tybo fighting gym, month three we're powerlifting, your clients are gonna look pretty stupid. So, again, there's two things here. The first two and most important things are this is that results and mastery can build a better community than anything else. And, of course, the third one is literally community itself. The word fitness comes from an old Norse word meaning to knit, K-I-N-K-N-I-T. I feel like S-M-R-T, missing that spelling right there. Fitness means literally to knit. I can't, okay, this is a great example. My about a month ago now, and somebody said something kind of dumb, so I kind of took over the microphone to toast my new son-in-law, who I really like a lot. And one of the things I asked is, how many at this place held Andrew, the, the groom? How many then I said, how many of you held uh, Tiffany, my wife? How many of you held me, Dave? How many of uh, uh, Bruce, the, the other? father-in-law as a baby and then I said how many of you did I teach how many did I coach and people's hands were going up multiple times because at a wedding you get a real sense to see how well knitted you are you know one of my goals in my life is at my funeral everybody's talking about the same guy okay that in community one of the things we need to do to build together a, a gym that works a team that works is that it's knitted somehow. You get knitted by results. You know, I tell you one thing. I am so proud of that team I had in 2008. They were such a community. But they also kicked butt out there. They were beautiful technicians. And not any of them, I would not say, well, this is so cruel, but not visual bodies, if you know what I mean. My group was 6'4", and my boy was 6'8". You know, they were more like 5'4", and 5'8". That's the secret, I think. So results, mastery, and then knitting as part of community. I hope that was enough. Yeah. Wow. No, that was good. Yeah, that is good stuff. Yeah. The first time I've ever actually talked about this. No, that's not true. Yeah, I think. Well, <laughs> Iron Radio exclusive. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> It'll now be on sale for nine ninety five. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get a backup ebook. The freak. <laughs> yeah. Fat loss and 20 fat loss secrets. That's right. It's always got to include that. Something about get get ripped fast. Um, All right. No, that was great. Um, Dan, I just want to thank you for joining us. We're right here at the edge of out of time. Um, 
always love having you on the show and, and dropping those knowledge bombs. And uh, keep it up. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Okay. Until next time, everybody. Thanks. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. Hey, IronRadio.org listeners, this is Lonnie Lowry, and I'm just bringing you a sneak peek only for Iron Radio listeners at this point. If you Google CRC Press, Lowry, L-O-W-E-R-Y, and protein. You can be some of the first people on the planet to see this book. It's specifically for strength athletes. Everything on the safety of high-protein diets, the efficacy, the dosing, the types, practical applications, and case studies. This is a textbook. It's not what I would call an industry book. This is not pseudoscience. This is the state-of-the-art science. And if someone wants to critique you on your extra protein intake, This will be something you can hold up and say, this is what the literature says about stressed kidneys or bone loss or gout or dehydration or increased muscle mass over time or leanness or what types are best. This is the ultimate source in one place. Little disclosure here. I do make a single digit percentage of royalties on this book. It's such a low amount, however, obviously I haven't done it for that purpose. I did it because, like you, I want to have something I can hold up in one place that's modern literature instead of what perhaps a health educator might tell you about the benefits and the potential concerns, if there are any, on ample protein diets specific to a population like ours. Thank you. The Iron Radio Podcast. And all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.